Good morning and welcome. I saw many of you out at the uh, Prophecy Conference, and I thought it's kind of interesting. Nobody plans these kind of things except for the Lord, that the conference would fall as we're moving on in the book of Revelation. And if you were at the conference, you know it was one for the record books. As you're shaking your head, it was, it was stellar. It was awesome conference. Uh, with that, um, let's turn in our Bibles. We're in Revelation uh, chapter 6 and verses 9 uh, through 17. This morning, we want to look at the fifth and the sixth seal before we uh, launch into chapter 7. And we, when we get to chapter 7, we're really on Jewish ground. And... Uh, we're going to see who those 144,000 are. I'm sorry, they're not Jehovah Witnesses, <laughs> as they claim. Sorry for them, not for us. Now, John writes in verse 9, I'll read, you can follow. Uh, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and as a fig tree drops its late figs, when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath, interesting reference here, the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Lord, we look to you today, and we are so thankful. As we sung a moment ago, you're our deliverer. And Lord, we thank you that you're delivering today, that whosoever will believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today would become the day of salvation for them. And Father, we pray that for anyone hearing this message, and Lord, uh, they may want to have their name in our church directory, but I want to tell you how important it is that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, we thank you that when we come to faith and when we put our trust in you, that our name goes into that great register, which is eternal, for which we thank you. And Father, I pray as we study together this book of Revelation, that Lord, you would be speaking to our hearts. Lord, you would be just fashioning faith. Lord, a, a deeper understanding of the things of God. And Lord, we realize as we look around our world, as we look at the book of Revelation, we realize, Father, that we have come to the last days. Lord, you have come to the most important time of all of history. Lord, we stand on the precipice of this very time that we read about. But Lord, we thank you. Lord, you offer escape. You offer deliverance. Lord, to the child of God. And Lord, we pray that this message that we have 
that before you come for the church, that, Lord, we would be faithful, faithful to confess you, Lord, faithful to tell our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our associates, Lord, that they too would experience this wonderful escape and deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We ask you to meet with us and bless our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask it. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I wanted to uh, share something with you because a lot of times when we come to this book of Revelation, uh, we have a struggle with the, the sequence uh, of particularly of where the, where the events fall in the tribulation, uh, where, the, where the chapters actually line up. And I, and I want to just share this with you because uh, I want to give you a timeline and a sequence of the chapters because they don't always fall in what we would call a sequential or chronological order. Um, and if you'll just sort of, I think you should write this, so it's very helpful for the future. Write it in maybe the beginning of your, um, where, you know, you got a little space uh, or your fly paper or whatever notes you might be taking. The first half of the tribulation is chapter 6 through 9 and chapter 17. Okay? That's the very first half of the tribulation. Chapter 6 through 9 and chapter 17. Sometimes, like chapter 17, we get a flashback. Okay? Now, the midpoint in the tribulation is chapters 10 through 14. When you're in chapters 10 through 14, you're in the midpoint of the revelation, of the, excuse me, of the tribulation. And the second half is chapters 15, 16, and 18. When we get to chapter 19, the Lord is coming back. He's returning um, at the end of the tribulation period. So the second half uh, are chapters 15, 16, and chapter 18. Uh, I think if you write them down, because uh, it would be very easy to forget them, if you write them down for future reference, that will be very helpful uh, when you're studying the book of Revelation to put everything in somewhat of a timeline, in somewhat of a, a sequence. Now, we entitled our, our piece for uh, this morning, our message, uh, taking it right from the text here from the fifth seal, uh, something that the martyrs say, How long, O Lord? Now, last time we looked at the fourth seal, we, we ran into these guys that we, uh, we, we hear about them quite often, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, that's the fourth seal. And as we saw in that fourth seal, uh, that there was death basically dealt out in four different types of scenarios. And uh, they had power over a quarter of the earth. Now, does that mean one quarter of the geography or one quarter of the population? I tend to think it's one quarter of the population because when we, when we come into the tribulation, it's a worldwide, it's a global event. It, it's impacting the entire globe. It's impacting everybody in the world, maybe more or less to certain degrees, but it's a global event. It isn't some kind of regional, uh, local kind of event as so often people, when they come to the Bible, uh, you know, they talk about Noah's flood. Well, it's just a local event, you know, type of thing. But uh, when scientists look around the world, uh, they see the scars uh, of that great event that impacted the entire world. Uh, so I believe it, it does impact this, the population, a quarter of the population. Now, if that happened today, interestingly, um, today's population is 7.44 billion. So it's basically 7.5 billion around the world. Uh, so if one quarter of the people uh, of that number would be wiped out, we're talking about 1.8 billion people. Uh, can you imagine that? Uh, taking place, uh, no doubt, within a certain uh, brief segment of time within this seven-year period. Uh, I was also reminded, I was looking at some mortality tables, and you, each year you have 131 million births. Each year also, too, you have 53, 55.3 uh, million people die each year. Every day, you've got 336,000 births every day, and every day, 151,600 people die. So it's basically uh, a, a loss rate of four, around 40%, uh, you know, whether it's annually or whether it would be uh, on a daily basis. Uh, the, 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 the table went on to say 15,000 births every hour, and every hour, 
6,316 people die. And of course, that's an average. But imagine, here we are sitting here roughly for an hour, and there's going to be 6,300 people that are going to die. Um, one, of the, one of the messages out at the conference uh, uh, from one of the speakers, uh, a Jewish speaker, Jonathan Bernice, um, you know, he was sharing, uh, um, as he gave his message, he was talking about, you know, the incredible importance that we need to communicate our faith. It's so important that we tell people about the Savior. People, you know, we're touched by, in a, in a sense, affected by it when somebody close to us, a neighbor dies, somebody commits suicide, somebody dies in a car accident. Uh, we know this person or we're, we're associated with them to some degree and how that just sort of impacts us. But the fact of the matter, in this hour that we sit here, uh, six, over 6,000 people are going to perish. And I kind of wonder how many of them are actually going to go, you know, they're all going into eternity. Uh, we're eternal, but where are they going to go? That, that's really the question for each and every one is where are they going to spend uh, their eternity? Now, another possibility, as uh, I think a very strong possibility, as we look at this fifth seal, as we, as we come to this, you know, all the killing, all the murder, the mayhem that took place under the fourth seal, no doubt, comes directly from the agenda of the Antichrist. And it comes against those who would not bend their will. They would not submit themselves to his demands. Because when he comes on the scene, he's just going to be given so much power, um, and uh, there are going to be incredible demands. Isn't it amazing uh, the security demands that were put upon us since 9-11? And you know what? You just give in to it. You just basically submit to it. Okay, that's what we need to do to be safe. And, uh, and, and no doubt that chaos is going to take place um, you know, during this particular period that people are going to just basically be willing to give up uh, you know, their security, their rights, uh, all these sorts of things you know, for security and for protection. Um, and, uh, and as we look at this here, uh, that those who are not willing to bend their will or, or submit themselves to the demands of this leader, this world leader that we call, that the Bible identifies as the Antichrist, uh, that there's going to be massive people, many people are going to be martyred, put to death. And, and we're talking about basically here believers. Uh, it was interesting when you look at the early church and, and all the way through history, there, has been, there have been figures, there have been individuals uh, that they come in the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, I would imagine the early church, when they, when, when they had to live under um, the, uh, the power of uh, Caesar Nero, that they probably thought, man, this is it. This is the end. This is the Antichrist. When they're, just putting, they're basically being put to death in a wholesale kind of way. Why is it? Because they would not say, Caesar is Lord. That's basically what they had to say. They had to, they had to just basically surrender to give their allegiance uh, to him because it got to a point, you know, early on uh, in the Roman, you know, judicial system and so forth, and they had a Senate and all that, there was supposed to be a balance of power. But it got to a certain point, and I think Julius Caesar might have been the first one. Uh, I, may be, I may be corrected on that, but I think he was the first one who basically deemed himself and called himself a god and deity. And it just got worse from that particular point uh, as it came down to, to Nero that basically if you would not submit yourself, you know, to um, that very fact and, and, and recognize it, uh, that you, it would cost you your life. And that's what it's going to be as we, as we see a little picture there, a little glimpse there. Uh, I, think, I think guys like Hitler, I think they were a picture of the Antichrist. Um, there have been other, you know, individuals. I think Stalin, uh, no doubt he as well, his persecution of Jews, um, you know, in the Soviet Union. They say that there was probably upwards of 30 million of his own people uh, that were killed and destroyed, you know, under his reign uh, of terror. Now, as we come here to verses uh, 9 through 11 uh, in chapter 6 here, we find a, a large group of believers that come to faith during this period. Because remember, the church is taken out, and there's a whole new fresh, you know, work of, of God um, and the gospel being given out to the world population. And there's a massive amount of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so they're testifying of the saving power of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, there's a great cost. You know, even today for you and I to be faithful, to communicate 
our love for Christ, our commitment to Christ, and our salvation, it's going to cost you something. It may, co- may not cost you your life, but it may cost you some friendships. Uh, people may, you know, look at you differently. Um, the, the, no matter, w- you know, at what time in history, it's always going to cost us something to align ourselves with Jesus Christ. But in this particular time frame, in this, 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 this tribulation period, um, the cost is going to be tremendous. It's, the cost is going to be your life. And, and I've always said, if we can't live for Jesus now, under this age of grace, how are you going to die for him then? And I think that, you know, at any given time, the Lord um, gives us opportunity. Sometimes people just come up and start talking to us, almost like pulling information out of us. Did that ever happen to you? And I, I, be careful that you don't go, that you don't go mute. Be careful of that. I think these are the days where God's giving us opportunity. Um, you know, as people look at what's happening around the world, there's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense of what, you know, what's going to take place next, you know, in this world. People have all kinds of questions. And I think it's very important. We have, we've got the answer. And don't be afraid to give it out. We, we, we may not know everything, you know, we may not know the entirety of the Bible, but we know the author of it. And, as we, and that's the most important thing. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know a whole lot of the Bible. But you know the author, if you're a believer, and to point people to Jesus Christ. And we see the early church doing that so many times. Now, we see as this fifth seal is opened, uh, it, the altar here is this altar in heaven. It's not the altar, uh, any earthly altar. Uh, and it says, I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Have you ever considered giving your life for your faith? Have you ever considered that? I mean, maybe have you ever read the book of the book Fox's uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs? You ever read that? I mean, that's a classic, and it's just a story about uh, many believers. And I remember uh, as I read the book, there was somebody there in that book because uh, it's it's written about basically the the great persecutions that took place uh, in England, and. Uh, there was a family there by my name. And it just, you know, it kind of brought it home to me. Uh, and, and I don't know if it was the same family, but there was a story where, where uh, they wanted uh, this family to recant their faith in Christ. And a lot of people don't realize that some of the greatest persecutions came from the Catholic Church. It came from the Catholic Church against, um, you know, those who, you know, were um, independent uh, even before there was so much of a Protestant Reformation, there was tremendous persecution against the true believers. And sometimes that has come through history, you know, through the organized traditional, uh, you know, denominations and churches. And, uh, and I remember that uh, this family, uh, they, they were trying to get the, the parents to, re, to, to recant their faith in Christ, and they were taking their children and murdering their children right in front of them. And their children were saying to their parents, be faithful, be faithful. It was a special crown for those who give their life for the faith. And I've always wondered, how would I? You know, you can say, you, can say, you know, before you ever get to any kind of trial, how you think you would handle it. But oh, when you get to that point, um, I, think it's very, I think it's an important uh, thing that I think we need to, uh, we need to consider, if you remember the uh, story about Columbine, uh, there was a young girl who was a believer there, and of all those that were murdered that day, she was a believer, and her name was Rachel Scott. And um, it's interesting that these two boys, I think it's Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold, they knew these students, and they knew Rachel. They, they knew because she had been vocal about basically her faith in Christ. And here are her fi- final words. Um, Eric Harris says to her, Well, Rachel, where's your God now? As they're standing over her with their weapons. And Claybolt says, What would Jesus do? Do you still believe in God? 
said Harris. Rachel answers, you know I do. And then they say, then go and be with him. And they took her life. And there was a movie about that and a book about it. And, uh, you know, commendable to see that kind of faith in a young girl, just in a teenager. How we need to be faithful. One example to us of the, of the faithfulness that um, God can place within our hearts. And that's why I think it is important that we, that we make our break, you know, from the world. You know, the world so often has its, its hooks, you know, in us. And at the end of the day, we're going to be faithful somewhere. We're going to be loyal to something. But it's very important. How, you know, here's the thing I think is important to consider. If I can't be faithful to Jesus in the little everyday things, how am I ever going to be faithful when it comes to the big test? It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. If I'm not faithful, yet I think, oh, when it comes to the, when it comes to the biggie, you know, Jesus, I'm all for you. No, no, it doesn't work that way. That's why it's so important in the little trials, in the little situations and circumstances of life, that, that we're faithful in a daily way. You know, I was thinking about some of the words of Jesus. Has any of the words of Jesus ever scared you? They scare me sometimes. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. They scare me a lot of times. Sometimes when I read the, the, the words of Jesus, it's like the fear of God kind of gets stirred up within my heart and in my life. And listen to these words. <laughs> he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So you see, it's very important that, that we are faithful every opportunity. To, to, and, and, and maybe you're a timid soul. Maybe you just struggle with that. And, you know, the only way you're going to get victory over that is you've got to step out. It's like Peter. You know what? You've got to step out of the boat. Everybody talks about, well, Peter sunk. You know what? Well, Peter also walked on water. He did something nobody, nobody else ever did. He walked on water. Yeah, he sunk. But, you know, sometimes you, you just got to step out of the boat and begin to talk to people about the Lord. Well, what if they don't hear me? What if they, yeah, 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 yeah. all these other excuses. Just do it. And you'll be all the more emboldened to do it more as you just simply step out, you know, in your faith. Now, we see here in verse uh, 10 that there's this loud wail for vengeance. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now we see here is a big change. It's a big change from the age of grace because they have moved now, God's people have moved into a time of judgment. You see, presently we're encouraged to what? To pray. To pray for those who persecute us. To love our enemies. <laughs> to, you know, to... To have a concern and a compassion for those who despitefully use you. Has anybody ever despitefully used you? Oh, boy. Doesn't that sometimes just... Have you ever wanted to pray an imprecatory prayer? That's a smiting prayer. Lord, break their teeth. Lord, kick them in the hinder parts. <laughs> I like that one. Sometimes I like that one. You know, the Lord said, and he kind of reminds us here, uh, when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, there was a tradition within Judaism, and, you know, when it comes to that kind of thing, you, you, you just, you, you know, I'll tell you what, it's easy to hate, ain't it? Very easy to hate, even for us, because, you know, we're made out of the same stuff. But it's not so easy to love. We know that. We know it, it's tough business when it comes to, to, you know, loving someone. Sometimes we have a tough time loving our friends, okay? Much less, you know, loving my enemies. He goes on to say, but I say to you, love your enemies. 
Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I don't like when somebody cuts in front of me and doesn't use their turn signal. I got some cute little names for them. I ain't going to tell you. And Margie, don't you tell them either. <laughs> and it's amazing how just the little things can just sort of miff us. And, you know, you need the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit of God. You know, in your heart and in your life, it is absolutely impossible. But you see, that's where we are. We're, we're called to a higher standard, to love those who are our enemies, to love those who are avowed enemies. That's why, you know, when we think about, and there's something that kind of, there's, there's like something that kind of bugs me when I see Muslim people. And I'm reminded by it every time through the Holy Spirit that those people need love. They need love. They know hate. And, and I'm not saying all Muslims are, are you know, terrorists or, or, you know, wicked, evil people. I think a lot of them are just like you and me. Just like the average individual. They want safety. They want protection. They want a good job. And we oftentimes find this challenge that comes into our lives. You know, we're going to love. And, and you know what? If, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, see, the, here's, the, here's the deal, folks. Where we get hurt most is relationships. Can I hear an amen? Okay. Sticks and stones. <laughs> What's that old saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Oh, yeah. They hurt. They hurt deeply. And it's only by the grace of God and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit that, because that, what happens is if, you're, if we're not, even if you're a believer, if you're not operating within the, the entrusting and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and giving these kind of issues to God in prayer, what you're going to do is you're going to cloister yourself. You're going to build a wall. You're going to isolate yourself. You're going to become a hermit. You're not going to want to be around people because why? You don't want to get hurt anymore because why? You're still hurt. You're nursing it. And I was just reminded as I'm reading Isaiah 61 this week, that, that is, as it was prophesied there about Jesus, that he has come to heal the brokenhearted. And that's not just when we come to Jesus. That's all throughout our life experience. We have to give to him our wounds, our hurts, our, our discouragement, our, 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 our great, the, the failure of our greatest expectations. A lot of times we put these expectations on people and they just can't measure up. And be careful, be careful that you as a believer do not become cynical about human nature. I thought that's an interesting word, cynical. Because <laughs> people are going to sin against us. People are going to just sometimes just spitefully use you because of their ambition to get ahead. You know, you're in this department with somebody and they just seem to be your best friend. But they get a chance to stab you in the back because it means a promotion, advancement for them. People do this kind of stuff all the time. And if you've ever been hurt by another believer, that's a deep one. That really hurts. When you get betrayed, when you get hurt, taken advantage of, and used by another believer, man, that, that hurts. That's painful. And you've got to be careful. You don't just keep nursing that thing. They shouldn't have done it. They're a believer. They know better. We do. We have higher expectations of other believers, don't we? 
Well, that's okay to a degree. But you know, flesh is flesh. <laughs> and what we need to do is we need to go to the Lord with these things when they happen to us, when we experience them. But as we look at this prayer in verse 10, this prayer is in accord, in accord with the will of God for this time. Okay? That's how you reconcile that. This prayer is in accord with this time of judgment that has come upon the world. God is about to bring judgment upon the world. And of course we know that um, as, uh, as verse uh, 11 tells us, then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be completed as they were, excuse me, would be killed as they were, was completed. So the cup of judgment at that time of that verse and of that seal um, is not yet, not yet fulfilled, not yet complete. Now we come to the sixth seal. Excuse me, it's opened here in verse 12. And one of the things that we're going to see here in verse 12, as we read earlier, a whole lot of shaking going on. Okay, nature is thrown into full-blown chaos. The world basically at this point, nature itself is in convulsions. You know, sometimes we, we look at uh, just, you know, I think, I think the weather, I, I think this whole thing of, you know, what, what so, I think it's more politicians than scientists. <laughs> but there are scientists that call it global warming, okay? I believe that there is weather change. But the difference between their view and, and our view is who is the weather maker, okay? They're saying we're doing it, okay? We're saying God's doing it. Because if you look at jo Job 37, look at Job 37. And, and Job there just simply recognizes the power of God and how God uses all these different weather events in the lives of people. You know, one of, one of the classic ones, um, and I'll just try to reference it for you very quickly. Um, because one of the things that I think is, is absolutely important for our time, and it's a, it's a subject that, that has come up this last Wednesday night now in our study, and also to... It's a subject that needs to continually be brought up because it's how the nations of the world treat Israel. And I think that um, one of the best things right now that's going on in our government is our treatment of Israel. Look at verse, if you're in Job 37. Now he's talking about weather in this context here. He's talking about weather. I just want to read one verse, not, not read the whole thing. You can read that on your own time. But he says in verse 13, he causes it to come. In other words, he, God, causes certain weather events to come for correction. National, regional correction. Or for his land, Israel. Israel. All you have to do is study the, the history of nations. That whenever a nation turned against Israel, they were kaput. It was over for them. Just a matter of time. They signed their death warrant as they turned against Israel. Or for mercy. I'm kind of an amateur student of, 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 of wars. It's amazing how many, how many times the tides of war were changed because of a weather event. Battle of the Bulge, if any more recent know about that. But you see it also in the Bible. So, so God is the weather maker. And we're in a time of transition, a time of change. And I think what it is, I think this transition that we're in is simply God's, God getting the attention. You know, and this weather's happening all over the world. Did you see France this week? 
They're underwater. Not just us. I'll tell you what, that, that Job 37.13, every politician in the world ought to know that. Boy, that could save, save their nation. That's why we need to pray. The Bible tells us always to be in prayer for those who are in uh, positions of power. So what we see here is nature uh, in, in this uh, 12 through 14 reference here, uh, what we know as the sixth seal, uh, along with cosmic disruptions. And again, this is all divine intervention that we see here. Um, you know, you think of some of the, the, the great seismic activity and volcanic activity that's taking place. Do you know it seems to be that the Pacific Rim, that ring of fire is kind of getting lit up again? Have you noticed that? Have you followed some of the weather news about what's taking place? And I was just seeing uh, someplace this week, I forget where it was, but uh, uh, the activity of a, of a volcano. And um, Luke 21 uh, reminds us of this when Jesus said, in 2111, uh, there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and signs, great signs from heaven. Uh, verse 25 and 26, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Uh, did any of you get the, the prayer request this week? Um, about the, tsunami, the, the, the potential tsunami condition uh, that took place uh, because we, we've, we've got Joe McGee and Rachel um, in uh, Kodiak Island. And so they had to go to the high ground. So we got a text, you know, uh, early in the morning. And I was talking to Joe's father out at the prophecy conference, and I guess it was over uh, early in the morning. But they had to go the night before. They had to all go to high ground because of a... Of a um, you know, a tectonic shift there, uh, an earthquake out there somewhere in, in the ocean. And we know, you know, just from, what, a few years ago in Thailand, uh, what took place there. And so, um, so the sea and the waves roaring. But notice this here, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So it'll be a tremendous um, cosmic disruptive time uh, in, in, in this particular um, series here and in the sixth seal. Do you know that the, super the one super volcano in the world is on our, in our country? Yellowstone National Park. It's the most thermally active place in the world. A lot of people don't realize that. And one of the things that the uh, seismologists are saying, and the, uh, what do you call them, vol volcanologists, um, are saying we're overdue for a big one. And they say when that thing blew before, they, you know, they have a way of studying this thing, that the impact was hundreds of miles to the south. And, and I remember we were there. We've been there two times to uh, Yellowstone. And it is impressive because you've got the geysers are all over the place. You've got these thermal pools. Uh, we were there in the year 2000. And uh, just after we left, uh, two teenagers said, tell you, don't go out on the thermal pools because they're all crusted over with minerals. And it almost looks like ice you can walk on them. And two kids went out and walked, and they died. They went down, and, and, they, and the, the, the thermal pools are so hot that they basically overpower you before you get a chance to get out. And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, when you think about this here, uh, this earthquake uh, and, uh, you know, the moon, uh, you know, becoming like blood. You know, tremendous stuff. You know, the Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 12. And you know, again, the earth is shaken. The heavens are going to be shaking during this time. But you know what? I think God is shaking things up. I, I think God is shaking things up and, and giving people a sense of, of anxiety um, because we're, we're moving more and more toward this day. Now, we don't know exactly when it's going to be. But we're moving. I think we're, we're, I, I think we're much closer, far closer than even we as believers realize that. And I think God is shaking things up in our world today to get the attention of people. 
Because, you know, we tend to, people put their security in all kinds of things. People put their security in their job. And I think that's, you know, um, falling apart for a lot of people. You know, the security of a, you know, here I got this great job with this great corporation. Um, and uh, uh, it is amazing how we have watched over the last, you know, 10, 20 years uh, how faith in those kind of things has just been dissolved. Um, and, and I think that uh, God's using all these things to basically get the attention and to cause us to open up our lives and to consider him. He said, see that you do not refuse him, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on the earth, much more shall we escape, or not escape rather, if we turn away from him uh, who now speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the, only the earth, but also heaven. And now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, material things, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So that's why God shakes. Sometimes, you know, not only, I think he's doing it in a very expansive and massive way. But he does it individually as well. He shakes the things out of our lives, the idols, the things that people find security in, the things basically that people have erected in their life that, that substitute God. It, it's amazing when you go into a third world country how people have a much more reliance and, a, and a basically an awareness of God because they don't have all this material stuff that they have put their faith in. How many people today in, our, in, in this Western world have put their faith in technology and science? Well, the, the scientists will figure it out somehow, how we're going to survive into the future. <laughs> no, they're not. God's got the answer. Our hope needs to be placed in him and not anything, anything lesser than You know, Paul says over in Romans uh, chapter 8, and he says, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, it's as if there's birth pangs. And there really is. Uh, I remember as Margie and I had five children, uh, birth pangs are basically contractions when all of a sudden, her belly begins to just sort of go like this. And we start counting how, you know, how far it is between certain contractions, and we know it's time to get to the hospital because, you know, the little one's coming. And, and God is sending con these contractions, if you will, these convulsions of nature, these economic issues, these weather events. Th these are all, in a sense, contractions that God is trying to get the attention that we might look to him and realize that only he has the answer. Only he can save us. For the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, God didn't design this world to be an end in itself. You know, a, a person can, it's interesting how a person can go through their whole life, you know, looking for, you know, finally when I get to a place I'm financially secure, I, I can retire, you know, I can have my house paid off and, and I can begin to, you know, enjoy my life and I've got the little cabin in the cottage, you know, at the lake or in the mountains. And then, but when they get there, they realize how empty it is. Why do you think people, you know, the, these Hollywood moguls and these stars oftentimes take their life? In other words, they've, they've arrived. They've arrived to the, where they got to the place where they got all the security their heart could wish, all the money in the world, and they realize, I'm as empty as can be. I was watching a 60 Minutes uh, segment. It was with Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Patriots. He's got five Super Bowl rings. And I forget who the, the commentator was. And he said, uh, now, now that you... I mean, there's nobody in history that's got five Super Bowl rings. Not that I know of. You've arrived, he says. You, you, you've gotten to the place where <laughs> this is it. And I thought it was so interesting that 
here's what Brady said with a look of desperation in his eyes as he leaned forward. He says, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And then he said, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I, I, I respect him for that. He was simply being honest. Here's a guy that, that's basically, you know, got to the top so much more so than probably anybody in a sport and even continuing to play at 40 years old. Got to be more. There's got to be more, but I don't know what it is. And it's like, I imagine every Christian was watching that program and was going, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, man! You know, you know. <laughs> you know, we, we have a wonderful way of talking to the TV, don't we? <laughs> so the moon became like blood. You know, I want you, I, you know regarding these kinds of things, I, I think it's important, I want to tell you, be careful of some predictions that sensationalize end-time events that don't come true. I'm not going to mention any names. Be careful of that. I, I think there are many well-intended, many, many well-meaning people that are out there, even believers, that are trying to sell books. And when you sensationalize things, I mean, there's a lot of groupies out there, prophecy groupies, that'll just buy anything and everything that's sensationalized. And I think we need to be very, very careful about this. Verse 14, the sky receded. As a scroll, when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. You know, I, I thought for the longest time this was actually a picture of the, the very end, after the millennium, but it's not. This takes place in the tribulation period. Joel speaks about it. Joel speaks about um, in, in his uh, uh, prophecy there. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Uh, blood and fire, pillars of smoke, the sun turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. And as the Lord said, among the remnant um, whom the Lord calls. You know, it's interesting because deliverance will not come for the tribulation saint till the end. You know what? Today is the day of salvation for you and me in this age. Today, today, now is the accepted time. Because when you get Jesus, you get your ticket out of this. Amen? You want a ticket out of this? It's free. I, I was kind of, you know, lately I've been thinking about how much is salvation worth? Well, you know, just to put a monetary value of that's this, this astronomical is, you know, gazillion. Is that a real number? I think it is, isn't it? Gazillion. I think I asked Tim Cortina that one time, and I think he, he was, he's a mathematician, so I think he, he ratified that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's priceless. It's priceless. Can't put a price tag on it. I think some people will realize the value of salvation when it's too late. When it's too late. Today. Today is the day of salvation. You know, when we talk about these things, <clears throat> you ever notice how we're maligned? They're a bunch of doomsdayers. Well, did you look at the news this week and the scientist and the doomsday clock? Did you see that? Two minutes to midnight. Two minutes to destruction. I mean, the scientists are saying this. I think you need to use that. You know, when they, when they you know, oh, you're doom and gloom, talking about the end of the world. <sighs> These are the scientists. 
They, they moved the clock up 30 seconds to two minutes before midnight. This, uh, this verse here, verse 14, the scientist and author Henry Morris, I think he gives the greatest explanation of this verse. Because this is not taking place after the millennium. This is taking place in the day of the Lord, in the tribulation. And he says this. He says, the departing of the, the, the heavens like a scroll is more difficult to understand. There seems to be two possibilities. One is that the clouds of dust will gradually spread across the, the sky, making it to appear that the sky is being rolled up. However, to use the graphic term depart, it seems to indicate something more spectacular even than this. The other possibility is that the earth's crust, highly unstable ever since the flood, the great flood, will be so disturbed by the impacting asteroids, the volcanic explosions, and worldwide earthquake quakes that great segments of it, the earth's crust, will actually begin to slip and slide over the earth's plastic, deep plastic mantle. Um, Geophysicists for many years have been fascinated with the idea of continental drift. Although strong evidence has been accumulating against such phenomenal uh, occurring in this present age. And several have published theories of a past naturalistic phenomenon uh, may be actually triggered under this judgment of the sixth seal, dwarfing the damage occasioned by all the mighty earthquakes of the earth. Those who reside in the regions above uh, such shifting crustal plates will observe the heavens moving, appearing to move in the opposite direction, and it seems as if they are being rolled up. So it's kind of interesting from a scientific uh, point of view. Now the final scene that we see here uh, in verse uh, uh, 15 of the sixth seal uh, is basically it's an overview, overview it's a flyover um, that basically takes us to the end of the tribulation period. And what we're going to see is those who have lived through that and reject it, they've become rock hard. Do you ever see someone who has gone through a really difficult life? Maybe grown up in a dysfunctional, criminal kind of home and just kind of lived in that kind of... And, and, and that could happen to somebody who maybe even grew up in a decent home. But sometimes you see people, they're just so absolutely rock hard. You know, so re they have so rejected God in anything... Uh, anything moral, you know, anything biblical. And that's what people are going to be like that have, that have and, and again, remember, and we're going to see that next week, that the gospel, and as we see it even here in the fifth seal, many people, multitudes of people have come to Christ. So people have had an opportunity to receive the Savior, but they have rejected. We see that here. The kings of the earth, the great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the rocks and the mountains. Isn't it interesting how you come to realize you can't hide from God? You really can't. No matter what you tried to do, you cannot hide. And thank God for that. The Bible says everything is, everything is transparent and open with him to whom we have to give an account. He sees everything. People try to hide from God. And they said to the mountains, to the rocks, <clears throat> fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And I don't know how the Lord's going to do this, but you know the Bible says every eye will see him when he returns. That's no problem for him. It's a problem for us. But that's no problem for him. That here, even as Christ is coming to the earth and comes to the earth, that they're still fighting against him. They're, they're still rejecting him. And you know, many people today, sadly, it breaks my heart when I hear it, take their own lives, commit suicide, in thinking that they're going to escape. And what a horrible reality it must be for them to find out that, yes, there is an afterlife. There's an afterlife and there's an after death. And, and God offers to us 
life and life more abundantly. But it must be chosen here and now. A person must take the opportunity. Because I think about this. Maybe just because I'm a preacher and I do funerals and stuff like that. I just think about what it must be for, for, for the soul that is instantly as they leave this life. For the believer, angels take them to heaven. But for the unbeliever, demon spirits come to escort them. And as they're heading down the shaft, as the Bible tells us, and they're smelling the brimstone and the smoke, and they instantly know, they instantly know that where they're going will be their eternal abode. There will be no escape. And I think about those kind of things. What a horrendous thing it is. that a person would go into eternity without Christ. Don't forget, folks. Remember what was given to Peter? The keys of the kingdom. You know what that is? That's the preaching of the gospel. That's the sharing of the gospel message of eternal life. Folks, for you and I this morning, we possess that key. We have that key. Don't forget that. That's the, Jesus Christ is the key that opens the door to heaven. And as we declare the gospel... Remember, it was given to Peter. What did he do on the day of Pentecost? He preached the gospel. What did he do to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house in chapter 9? He preached the gospel. That's the key. Not some super mystical kind of a thing. It's simply to tell people that if you receive Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be given eternal life. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I love that song, because I, I want to tell you that when Cheryl puts the songs together, she doesn't know what I'm doing exactly. And I, I oftentimes look for a theme in some of the songs to... to correlate with the message. Who is able to stand? Only the child of God. Only the child of God. Upon this rock, <laughs> mighty Jesus, rock of salvation, where all else is shifting sand, it's on you alone I stand. It's on you alone I stand, O precious Jesus. You are my treasure. In nothing else I find my home. It's in you, you alone. It's in you, you alone. Upon this solid rock I stand. On you and you alone I stand. As we close our time together this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand up for Jesus. And that may mean for you that you want to receive him into your life. Or that may mean something else to you. But I leave that up to you. And if you'd like to stand up for Jesus, I want you to stand up right now. Well, I guess nobody wants to sit on that one, right? Lord, we look to you. The only ability that we have, Lord, to stand in the face of spiritual warfare, temptations, and Lord, all that the world throws at us. 
Father, I pray for any souls that are here today that, Lord, maybe this is the first time that they're standing, Lord, because they want you in their lives. And, Lord, you see that flicker, that little flame in the heart. Though it be mighty small, Lord, if it's true faith, Lord, how we pray that you'd come into their life. Lord, you're the light of life. Lord, how we thank you. Thank you for redemption, for new life. And even though, Lord, we see through a, in a mirror darkly about these heavenly things, oh, what a day that will be when we're there together rejoicing and saying, oh, it was worth it. It was worth it. Whatever the cost was, it was worth it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the new life that we have in you. I pray you bless your people. Bless us as we go, Father, and I pray that, Lord, you would give to us those opportunities that we speak of here this morning. Lord, lead us to people that are lost. And give us boldness, holy boldness. Lord, we want to represent you. We know that even at the, at the moment we confess your name before men, you're confessing our name before the Father. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We love you, Lord. Go with us now, we pray. Anoint our lives with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.